Welcome to Hebron Baptist Church. I am Pastor Sean. It is wonderful to know that through Jesus Christ, we are able to come and worship God, that being reconciled through his blood, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we come to worship our Father who deserves our praise. We are glad that you're here this morning, and let us begin worship together by standing and reading God's word back to him as a form of praise. Let's read this out loud together. Hallelujah! Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can declare the Lord's mighty acts or proclaim all the praise due Him? How happy are those who uphold justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people, come to me with your salvation so that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones. Rejoice in the joy of your nation and boast about your heritage. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations so that we may give thanks to your holy name and rejoice in your praise. 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Hallelujah. Let's say, Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's sing.
amazing grace.
from Baptist Church. I am Pastor Sean. And we're glad that you're here this morning. If you're a guest, welcome. Uh, we hope that you find Hebron Baptist Church to be a place that you can take your next step in Christ. That's why we see, why we want to exist is to help mature you in your faith by helping you take your next step. Maybe you're uh, never trusted in Christ. Today we hope that you find the one who took your place uh, on the cross and that you would trust in him. Maybe you've been a believer for many years, decades, and never uh, shared the gospel with someone. We would love to equip you to do that or to send you with one of our mission teams uh, across the world. So uh, whatever that is, we want to help equip you and encourage you in your step and your walk with Jesus Christ. We hope that you would help us uh, to connect with you. In the pew in front of you is a QR code uh, for a connect card. If this is your first time with us, or maybe you've not connected with us before, scan that QR code and uh, fill that out electronically. And at the end of our service, go to our next steps desk, which is through the double doors to the immediate left. If this is your first time with us, we have a gift waiting for you, and we hope that you would stop by and get that before you leave. Uh, we hope that, um, uh, that you would connect with us and ask to take your next step, and they can help you there uh, at the end of our service. Well, uh, we also, at this time, as part of our worship, as we gather as God's people, we should have be a house of prayer. And so would you join me as we pray for ourselves and the world uh, as we join together this morning in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your truthfulness and faithfulness, a God who does not lie and does not err and does not change, a God who has given us the truth about himself to be revealed through your word, but mostly the truth about your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. We're thankful that we can stand in this tr that truth today as your people and your children and worship you, and one day we will worship you forever in eternity with you god this morning we come to you knowing that you are the giver of all good things and we we want to be like you as one of our our qualities as a church and church member to be sacrificial givers we want to be givers of our time and of our talents and of our treasure lord help us to be more like you to be freer to give of our time to serve freer to give of our talents to make your body better and uh, help us, Lord, to be generous with our finances, with our tithes and our offerings to, to support your work here, but to also support those who are in need. Lord, you freely gave when we didn't deserve it. You gave your very son. Help us to be sacrificial as you are. Heavenly Father, in the same way, we are thankful that we can support and come alongside of those around the world who are giving of their lives for the sake of ministry and the gospel. And Lord, one of those couples we lift up to you today is uh, Carl and Sarah Porter. Uh, we pray for them as they uh, reach Swindon outside of London. We pray, Lord, for their church and their ministry for wisdom from above, for decisions that they're making about ministry. Lord, protect their family from uh, temptation from the evil one. Help them to keep a pure testimony for the world that they might point others to you. And Lord, may you continue to see people come to faith and knowledge through their work. 
Lord, we pray uh, for those around the world who uh, that are suffering through even the toil of, of war. We continue to lift up those in Ukraine as that battle continues. We pray for the church there that, Lord, you would encourage them and, and keep them faithful to serving and to the word and to the gospel, even among difficult times. We pray for still those hostages in, uh, in Gaza who have been taken away from their family. We pray, God, for their families to be encouraged to know that, God, you love them and are caring for them. And, God, we pray for the day that when all of this will be but a distant memory, and that the peace of the shores of heaven is all we know. So, Lord, we pray that for you to inter intervene even now amongst the governors, governors and rulers and kings and authorities to bring peace among those both in Ukraine and in Israel and Gaza. Heavenly Father, we want to lift up to you and know and admit even now that there are many days that we are not faithful. There are many days that we are not generous. There are many days that there's been opportunities to give and we haven't given. And Lord, we know according to your word that we have fallen and we are sinful. But Lord, we rest in the fact that even in the times that we have not been generous, you have been generous in your love, that we are forgiven through your son, Jesus Christ, that through the gospel that we are forgiven of what we've done and that we remain your children even in our sinfulness. So Lord, we are thankful for the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for the gospel that saves us. And God, because of this gospel, we sing and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read this scripture for us as we continue to worship together. And that scripture is, Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed of whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law has been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. But since the faith, I think that's the same line. And amen. <laughs> let's stand to our feet and then we'll end. Let's stand to our feet and let's sing that story together. The story of what Jesus has done for us.
copy of God's Word or in your devices to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read the first seven verses. For those of you who are new today or visiting or haven't been for uh, a while, we are, we are in a series uh, as we look at God's design. We, have, we are starting in Genesis. We're going slow. As a matter of fact, if you're wanting to use the Pew Bible to follow along with the translation I'm reading from, we are on page 2. Uh, two and three. So we're, we've not, we're not going at a very fast pace. Uh, after Easter, maybe we will go a little quicker, but uh, right now we're walking through God's design. And today uh, we're looking at what it means and what happens when we reject God's design. So beginning in chapter three, verse one through seven, it reads, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. 
No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, also gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we sang that we want to know more about you. We want the truth to be revealed to us that, Lord, not just a theological and deep truth that we need to hear, but also a very real truth, a truth if we are in error, that, Lord, we would quickly turn from it, that an error that we would understand, that we would turn to your son for forgiveness and the ability to to walk in his ways. And God, I pray that today that as we come to your word that we would understand we are meeting with you and that we seek God for you to transform us that we would never be the same again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Temptation is hard to turn from and sometimes it, we don't know how that it comes upon us. We're like the little girl who was caught in the kitchen who was eating a cookie, her mom came in and said, darling, what are you doing? She found her on top of the cabinets getting a cookie from the very top. She said, honey, what are you doing? Explain yourself. And the, and the daughter said, mom, I just don't know what happened. I just climbed up here to smell it and my tooth got caught. Maybe you've experienced the same thing when you smell a good cookie. It's hard to explain why we always fall into temptation, but the truth of the scripture tell us that when we fall to temptation, we are rejecting God and his ways, rejecting his good design for our lives and allowing sin to reign in us. This is the battle that even Paul talks about later when he says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and don't do the things that I want to do? We struggle with temptation and know with sin because our original parents, Adam and Eve, ruined God's design. The way this, uh, this text and narrative comes, we see that something was good and then all of a sudden here in chapter 3, something becomes not good very quickly. Chapters 1 and 2, the creation order was good and good and God created a man and woman and that was good and they found good helpmates and that was good and everything was good until chapter 3. We see that, that Eve and Adam rejected God's good design and went their own way. Sin is rejecting God and his good ways. And this is what this narrative is saying. And the rest of the Bible uses sin in this way for us to understand that it is rejecting God and what is good and choosing something that is false. All the synonyms for sin in the Bible kind of communicate this to us. The word transgression 
or to miss the mark. These are transgressing from something good, missing the mark that is something good, to go astray from something good, a shortcoming, an offense. All of these involves the departure from a higher standard to what it's originally intended. We are rejecting God and rejecting his goodness for our life when we sin. And this is what happens when we fall into temptation. That the God's, that when we reject God's word into selfishness, we are rejecting something that is good for us and choosing something that is destructive for us. And maybe you've seen it in your own life. Maybe you've seen it in the lives of others. Our selfishness ruins relationships and marriages, jobs, relationships with friends. And it puts us on the path of ultimate destruction in our life. The temptation is the scheme of the great tempter Satan to trick you into choosing anything other than God himself. This was the first and most used scheme that we see in all of human history. In this passage, we see three ways that when we fall into temptation, we are ultimately rejecting God. So if you're taking notes in your phone or on the bulletin number one, we reject God when we question his word. Verse one through three, we see the scene open up that Satan has come into a snake, a snake created by God, but instead Satan has, is coming to tempt God's ultimate creation, the one image bearers that are made after him, and that is something that he does for the rest of history. We see that he is cunning and he speaks to Eve and his most important and first task is to have us question God himself. The easiest way for Satan to tempt us in, in any way is to doubt God and his word. We see what he asks here. Eve in verse two, or excuse me, in verse one, did God really say did God really say this? This is the question of questioning. Did God really say this? Did he, is he really the authority in the matter? Is this what his word really says? Well, let's rewind. Did God really say that you should not eat from the tree of the garden? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, we have the answer. The good news is God recorded it so that we can look back and see who's right in this instance. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are to free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. The snake and Satan's ultimate question was to distort, and it was Eve's opportunity to correct him in his error. But our mother failed. She could have recanted and recounted what Jesus, what God had said, but instead we see that she diminished God's word, added to God's word, and softened God's word. She rejected God and his authority in our life, in her, in her life. We see that this is what Satan wants to do in, in our lives. If he is tempting us to sin, he is ultimately getting us to the point that we reject knowingly what God has said and choose our own way. How does Eve do this? Well, first she leaves every 
out of her response. In verse 3, she says, we may eat the fruit of the garden. Well, this is denying God's freedom and allowance of provision. God has said, you can eat from every tree. Look at all of this garden I've made from you. You can eat from all of it. You can eat from this tree that's good and this tree that's good and this plant that's good. All of this I've given to you. This is the golden corral of gardens. You can eat wherever you want, but you just can't go to this one tree. Here we see that he, she is already doubting God's good provision for them. Then, number two, she adds, or don't touch it. This is for our independent fundamentalists in the room, that we are caught in legalism. She puts another layer to keep us knowing that God has said, you can eat from the, the tree of the gar fruit of the garden, but she, he says, don't eat it. Well, she says, don't eat and don't touch it. She goes even further. It's almost like a child when, when mom or dad gets mad and says, you know, uh, uh, Lucy, Katie's come over and we've asked you and Katie to, to be quiet. This is the third time we've come in the room. I'm sorry, but Katie's going to have to go home. And Lucy comes out of the room. Dad is such the meanest dad in all the world. She, he said, Katie can never come to our house again. This is kind of how Eve has said that God is so cruel and so mean. Look, he said that we can eat from all these wonderful things, but he can't have eat from this tree, and we can't even touch it either. Here we see that in our nature, there's a part of us that we don't trust ourselves, that we have to even add another rule or, or see God in a way that's unloving. Third, she softens God's word. He said, or you will die. Is that what God said? Well, he didn't say you might die or you could die. What does he say? Chapter 2, you will surely die. There was no wiggle room. There was no gray area. If you eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, that you will die. And God did this, this revisionist approach that she made softened the blow of what God had said. Isn't it interesting that the first doctrine that was denied in the garden was divine judgment? Isn't that something that continues today? Note too, this doctrine that is being attacked from the very beginning, that God is the authority, and if you deny what he says, there is judgment for you for denying it. Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air and the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience, as Ephesians says, is still working that lie today. That if we can do and live and disobey and reject God's way in any way, but what is the cultural belief? Oh, it doesn't matter. It, it'll all work out at the end. Friends, it's a lie of even the Satan and the deceiver in the garden. The pathology of this dialogue of dissent is so clear. Satan offers a question of perversion of God's word. And Eve begins to question it herself, evidenced by her revision of God's word. And then Satan is free to declare God's word as wrong. He who has ears, let them hear. Satan continues to do this in your life.
that if he can get you to question it, then you can create your own truth. And in doing so, we must be prepared and know that God has given us his word for our good. Often we see our lives and are tempted to do things and there are clearly God's guardrails for us. God has pl placed placards in his word, things that say, don't go this way, it will not end well for you. On the flip side, God spend, sends a lot of time in his word say, go this way and there's ways of blessing. But when we start to write our own scripture and our own word, the gospel of Sean or the gospel of whatever, uh, whatever you like to call it, you start to become God yourself. And this is why we need a steady diet of God's word in our life. The Bible tells us Paul writes this to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Friends, we have been given the gift of God's word so that you may know it that you may follow it, that you will be blessed by it, that you will succeed and keep you from dangers that will, that will destroy you. This is why we need God's word. Why do we need it? We need to be equipped for it, it says. It is faithful to us. What did Jesus do when he was in the opposite uh, he was in the same situation as Adam and Eve being tempted by Satan what did he use did he change God's word alter God's word lessen God's word no he stood on God's word and rejected every lie that Satan was giving brothers and sisters you need a steady diet of God's word that's why you need to be sitting under faithful pastors and teachers. You need to listen to them. You need to study what they say. You need someone to guard your life. In your own personal time, you need to be studying God's word. And not just for winning a Bible trivia knowledge, but also asking the question to say, what is God's word saying for me? What is it saying for me how to live? How can I be obedient to God's word? That is why we see discipleship as one of the most important things that a church can do. So I would ask you, are you part of a D group where you're with other believers that they can encourage you, help you walk in God's word, read God's word, and help you to avoid falling in danger of God's word? Brothers and sisters, we need, to be un we need to understand that when we sin, we fall into temptation, we are rejecting God's word and God himself. And we need to be careful to guard ourselves from temptation. Number two, we reject God when we doubt his goodness. As the story goes on, verse four, no, uh, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it in your eyes, excuse me, you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. After Satan has succeeded in getting Adam and Eve to doubt God's word, he moved on to doubting God's goodness himself. Satan responds by saying, well, what did he say? Then he says, oh, well, he didn't really mean that. God 
didn't really mean this whole eat and you will die routine. No, God has ulterior motives. God just doesn't want you to be like him. The tempter suggested the rule of God had laid out was to protect Adam and Eve, not to protect Adam and Eve, but there was a greater good that they were being kept from, that they could be like him, and that God's rule or law was keeping them from good. And when we disobey God in our hearts, it's often because we doubt God's goodness. When God says not to do this, we're often like the, the, the teenager that, said, that thinks that our parents are the, have set the meanest rules on the planet. Oh, Mom and dad are so mean. Certainly, they're the worst parents in the world. I don't even think Cain and Abel had it as bad as I did. I mean, these, these vicious rules like being home by 11 and eating my vegetables and don't sit so close to the TV, they're, they're awful parents. They're so mean. Well, that's kind of how Satan was tempting Adam and Eve. God makes rules or boundaries, brothers or sisters. He doesn't just make them up out of the air and pull something out of a bag and say, oh, this sounds good. God, who is perfect in knowledge, perfect in love, perfect in knowing for us and caring for us, he sets these for our good, to bless us, to encourage us. And yet it is in our sinful nature that we reject it, thinking that there's something on the other side that we wish we could have. When God makes these rules or boundaries, he's just not making them up. When God says or wants us, says and warns us to not, to, uh, encourages us, excuse me, to be drunk on the Holy Spirit and not alcohol, it is better for us to be led by the Holy Spirit and not the Spirit's. When God is trying to uh, spoil our fun, when he says, uh, to, we think to ourselves, well, God's just trying to spoil our fun. What's the matter at look, looking at a little softcore porn? That's not going to hurt anybody. Or why does God care with what he does, that, what I do with my money? He doesn't want me to enjoy life. I've, I've earned the right to do this with my money. But listen, all of our, sir, our sin is really because we are doubting the goodness of God. Think of this. When you're anxious and you're worried, aren't you really admitting that God doesn't care enough about you to take care of you through this situation? When you're angry about something, aren't you really doubting whether God can be a good judge over good and bad? Friends, we must regularly remind ourselves of the goodness of God, that he cares for us and wants what's right for us. And if this wonderful, loving God cares for our good, we should freely obey him because he's looking out for us. Philip Hughes, a New Testament scholar, observed this to question the goodness of God is in essence to apply that man is more concerned about goodness than is God. To suggest that man is kinder than God is to subvert the very nature of God. It is to deny God, and this is precisely the thrust of the temptation to question the goodness of God. Cornelius Van Til, uh, another scholar, tells in one of his papers 
that as he was riding on a train that there was a, a little girl sitting in the lap of his father of her father and as the train ride was going she was reaching for a knife nearby and she was she was wanting to get that knife and he was keeping the knife from her because he knew that as soon as he got she got the knife she was going to hurt her or him and and she, he kept doing it and the the daughter turned around and kept slapping him in the face trying to get over to this knife he said you know in a lot of ways that's how we respond knowing when imagine this father who is doing everything in his power to care provide protect and give his daughter a safe environment she is rejecting him and this is the same way for us brother and sister we need to fight temptation to show contempt for a loving God think of all the good things he's giving you and when you're when you are tempted think why is God doing this it must be for my good how is he trying to love me through this how is he trying to provide for me when God tells you not to hold a record of wrongs, but God tells you not to seek revenge, when he does all these things, when he's saying that I will be fair, he's doing it so that you will trust him to be good in these situations. Is there something that you are doubting the goodness of God in? That you're not following his ways for your life? Brothers and sisters, at the heart, we need to trust a loving, good God and follow his plan for us. Third, we see that we reject God when we trust our wisdom over his. We reject God when we trust our wisdom over his. Verse 6 to 7, we see the descent of, of Eve when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. It was desirable for obtaining wisdom. She took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave it to her husband with her and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Brothers and sisters, ultimately, when Satan can tempt us to doubt God's word and doubt his goodness, the end result is that we become our little G God of our own life and we trust our ways over his ways. That we become the arbiter over good and evil. That we are the one who chooses right and wrong. That we are the one who instead has wrestled our lives away from our creator. And when you doubt God's word and his goodness, you are left trusting yourself over God. In essence, you have put yourself on the throne of your heart. You have claimed your heart as territory or your, your royal uh, kingdom for me, myself, and I. And after Eve had questioned God's word and questioned God's integrity, she barreled into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And look at the criteria that she made her decision. First, she looked at it and saw uh, that it was practically good. It says she saw the fruit and determined it was good for food. 
When we're looking at temptation, what do we do? The first downward spiral away from God's way is we practically think, oh, this is probably the good thing for us. This is practically a good thing. We make pro-cons list, pro and con list. We talk to people. Sometimes we do so, we, we, find, we talk to 10 people until we find the 10th person who actually agrees with us. We depend on common sense or things that we read in a book somewhere instead of God's book. God doesn't want us to choose our way, but his way. But in our mind, we find a way to practically think this might be the best way for us, even if it's apart from God's word. Then what does she do? Aesthetically, she thinks it's good. Eve looked at the fruit and it was pleasing to look like. It was a delight for the eyes. Friends, let's be real. Sin wouldn't be so tempting if it didn't look so good. That is the pull. That is what is happening. And when we realize or think that it's practically good, then we see how aesthetically pleasing and good it could be. We fall into temptation. I mean, it wouldn't be temptation if we say, oh boy, that sure looks horrible. Let me try that. It's always the opposite. We perceive the beauty of that sin more than the beauty of keeping God's word. For example, we see that extra attention from the member of the opposite sex would be nice, not thinking of how it could affect your spouse or your life. Friends, we need to be careful of the aesthetically pleasing nature of temptation and instead trust in God's word. But finally, Eve saw that it would be spiritually good. What did she want? She wanted wisdom. She thought that all that she was waiting for could come to her knowledge if she could just get that fruit. Now, when she got that knowledge, she didn't just get God's omniscience. What she got was the knowledge of all the evil good but all the evil possibilities as well and in Eve's mind she really thought surely if I eat this I'll be even better than God and where has she found herself in pride she is better than God C.S. Lewis observed pride leads to every other vice it's the complete anti-God state of mind friends when we get to this point we will choose so many horrible paths. I've been in ministry for 25 years now and so many times I have seen people try to blame God for their sinful actions. They say, well, I think God really wants me to do this. It's kind of the other cringing thing. This is what when we're sitting around with people and instead of saying, what does God's word say? people say something somebody says something like this well i think that god's word is saying something like that's when you cringe because you don't know what's on the other end of that we should always be asking what is god's word saying to me but often in our lives when we face temptation we think that we can choose the best way how many people have said well god wants me to be happy and so they use that as an excuse to leave their spouse or that God wants me to do this or that. And instead of staying true to God's word, they've chosen to be God themselves. This awful spiral is somewhere that we come from temptation. 
Brother, sister, if you begin walking down that path, run the other way. Run and cling to God's word. Don't look for its practical nature if it's opposed from God's word. Don't look at how good that temptation might be. Don't choose to be your own God. Instead, go to the one who is good and loving. Are you somewhere in that spiral right now? Are you reasoning for sin to be good for you? Is there something desirous that you know that has put you at odds with God? Do you believe that this desire or action will ultimately save you or be your savior? Do you feel that your life will not be complete without it? If so, brother or sister, be careful because you are rejecting God himself and you are falling into temptation. So as we've read this, it's not very hard to look back in our family tree and see ourselves in our first parents. How often do we find ourselves falling into temptation? How often do we find to choose our own way? And brother, sister, we can easily see this and read this and, and get mad at Eve and get mad at Adam and get mad for our sinful nature. But reality knows that we choose this sin readily. But the problem is what happens? How can we be forgiven? How can we be put in the right relationship with God? Is there any hope? And maybe that's where you find yourself today. You would say, if you were open and honest, as we, we could share with one another, you might even say, Pastor, I have rejected God's way so much, I don't even know if he would be even willing to accept me at this point. Maybe you are like Adam and Eve, and you've realized how bad you are, and you're trying to cover up your sin and get away. Well, friends, here's the good news. That God didn't end the story in chapter 3 of Genesis. That there's a whole rest of the story where he brings his savior, his, the one who would overcome this sin for us, the one who takes on the sins of the world so that we may be forgiven. The second Adam came through Jesus Christ so that we might be forgiven if we would trust and believe in him. Romans 5, 19 says, For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one's obedience the many will be made righteous. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news. That Jesus came and died on a cross and rose from the grave three days later so that those who believe on him and repent of their sins can be restored back to God's good design and be forever with him. Believers, if you're forgiven, you're free from the power of temptation. Stop acting like you're in a jail when the door has already been taken off by Jesus. Walk out of that sin and shame and run to the grace that is in Christ and be free from the power of sin over your life. The good news for us is that even though that we had a substitute bring sin to us, we also have one that pays for us. In the year 1900, in Tokyo, Japan, there was no foreigner that could come and do business in Japan. They had to have an advocate. These were advocates or native Japanese born who had to be the substitute for the foreign officials representative. If any transactions 
buying, selling property, legal documents all had to be signed by this substitute. The downside was if the foreigner was to, uh, was to uh, uh, break a law or do something that earned jail time, it was the substitute or advocate that paid the penalty. Brothers and sisters, we have a greater advocate and substitute in Jesus Christ. We have sinned, but Jesus Christ has died the death we should have died and paid for our sins by dying on the cross. And though our original parents, Adam and Eve, fell into temptation, and we have fallen too, Christ is our substitute and has come. Trust in the good news of Jesus because unlike Adam and Eve who was kicked out of the garden, he will welcome you to the garden of heaven if you trust in him. Brothers and sisters, fight against temptation. Fight against rejecting God in your life. Turn to Christ and be forgiven and be empowered to live for him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder of scripture. And I pray for anyone here today that is struggling through temptation, fighting sin. God, may I, I pray that they find a message of grace, that a, a God who loves them, who sent his son to die for them, will give them freedom and forgiveness. I pray that they will turn and trust Jesus for salvation. And today would be the first day in their life of walking free and being forgiven. We pray, God, uh, that we who are entrusted with your son, that we would fight temptation, not rejecting you and your rule, but instead trusting in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just stand your feet and let's respond together to the grace that God has shown to us and acknowledging it's all No, no, no. 
Good morning, church. I'm standing here in front of our hotel board, and it's February, almost the end of February, and it's looking a little bare. I wanted to remind us about our four in 2024 challenge. This challenge has two parts. One, that we're praying for four lost people, and we pray for them all year. Every time you have your personal devotion, whenever you think of them, that you pray for them, that you would pray that God would give you opportunities to share the gospel with them, that God would give you opportunities to develop a stronger relationship with them, that God would give you an opportunity to invite them to church, to life group, or for a missional meal. The second part of our four in 2024 challenge is that we would commit to invite four people every month to church. Now that basically amounts to one per week, every week, all year long. Our mission partner in Salt Lake City, Brian Catherman, once told me, Google should not be your best inviter. And as we talk to our guests that God has given us several of, most of them tell us they found out about us on the internet. We would love to see a large portion of our visitors on a Sunday tell us that they were invited by one of our members or one of our regular attenders. I wanted to remind you, when you invite someone, whether it's to church or to life group, to a missional meal, or we hope to a relationship with Christ, that you would take a moment and walk up to the board on a Sunday or whenever you're here and grab the corresponding ping pong ball to that color. A white ping pong ball indicates that you have invited somebody into a relationship with Christ. You shared the gospel with somebody, just write their first name on a white ball and stick it in the go-tell board. If you get the opportunity to invite someone to church, I would encourage you, please, write their first name on a blue ping pong ball and drop it in the go-tell board. If you invite someone into a mentoring relationship, like through your D group, write their first name on a green ping pong ball and drop it in the hotel board. If you invite someone for a missional meal, say to your house or out to eat, or maybe just for coffee, you write their first name on an orange ping pong ball and stick it in the hotel board. If you invite somebody to join you in life group, let's put your, that person's first name on a yellow ping pong stick it in the go-to. At Hebrew Baptist, we would love that when we talk to new guests, for them to tell us most of the time that they were invited by one of our members. The chances of them having a better experience here are much higher. If they're invited here by a friend, and even if you agree to sit with them or meet them at the door when they get here. So let me encourage you to take your part in the responsibility of all of us to be an inviting people, just like Jesus. We hope that you're taking the four and the 24 challenge. If you don't have a bracelet to remind you of it, you can get one of those at the Next Steps desk to help remember to pray for those four, to invite those four. Make sure you do that today. And that you're inviting someone, go ahead and think right now, who am I going to invite this week uh, next week to church uh, and or be open. You never know how a conversation will go that you can invite someone 
to church next week. A couple of quick things before we go. Guests, thank you for being here. We are glad that you're here again. Fill out the Connect card. Go to the Next Steps desk for your first time and get your gift uh, for being here today. We started our new members class this morning, but we have two more weeks. If you want to fulfill that or be a part of that or ask questions and come to that, you've got two more weeks to take part of that, or you can come to the next uh, uh, round of that. But next Sunday, 9 o'clock, uh, here at church, we hope that you can uh, be part of that. Also, a couple other things. Next Sunday, we are very excited about this. The Bible conference that will be from 4 to 6 uh, at um, next Sunday, guiding our kids or and grandkids in an upside-down world of gender and sexuality. I met with our speaker this week. I'm so excited about what he's going to share, how he's going to equip all of us uh, in this topic of gender confusion. So we hope that you will come next week and bring someone with you. This is something that the culture is pushing. We want to stand on God's truth, just as we learned today on this topic. So we hope that you will come next Sunday for that. And then finally, our Easter celebration is a month away and we uh, need your help. And part of the way that you can do that is to take some Easter egg, uh, Easter eggs home today and fill them and bring them back by Sunday, March 24th. And so if you can do that and help us out, they're across the hallway. Christy will be hanging around. Uh, you can grab those, take them home, bring them back, filled with candy. Uh, this is uh, one of the largest outreaches that we do. We will have this room filled with people uh, and they get to hear a gospel message and hear about Jesus and invited to our Easter services. So if you can be part of that, uh, that is one way to do it. And then you can talk to Christy in other ways that you can volunteer uh, leading up to it. Those are our main things. We want to finish up our worship as we give a way for us to worship God is generously giving. You can do so two ways. One, physically here in a minute, or by electronically giving. There's a, a QR, another QR code there in front of you that you can scan and give, or it's right here on the screen that you can give. So let's finish up our worship in generosity, and then one more song to send us as we go on mission for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. I pray, Lord, that you would, as we've, we've already prayed today, to help us to be generous and sacrificial in our giving. So Lord, as we have come to this place, and we know that we, as a church, desire to, to plant or replant a church in the next couple of years uh, for the mission of the gospel to go ahead, and even outreaches like our Easter egg hunt, we know that these provisions are, are paid for and supported by our members. And so Lord, I, I pray that you would encourage us uh, as a faithful gift offering to you, that you would help us to give generously today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen.